welcome again to another edition of the green beige podcast as always that is aj he is the green i am ken i am the beige one of us is in a really good mood tonight the other didn't have the greatest of weekends but we'll get into all of that aj how is it going my brother i'm doing well enough sir <laughs> I, I take your comment and str- i take your snide in stride yeah you should I mean, after all, you know, this was the first weekend that we actually had some football. Week one is in the books. <sighs> and what a world week it was. I, I think we can all collectively catch our breath after what transpired this weekend. This week literally had everything from blowouts to overtimes kickers coming through in the clutch to probably kicking themselves onto the unemployment line, a tie, a monsoon, and probably the worst coaching decision of the season last night. So it really is welcome back, football. We miss you so, so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So off the rip... We're doing what we usually do, but we're calling it something a little different this season. It is fourth down territory. So this is where we just, you know, we hop around the league and say who did what according to these categories. So AJ, of course, you know, I always kick it over to you first. And on first down, we're looking at the biggest winner of the week. So as you know, it's first down, so take it away. Who's your biggest winner? Um, my biggest winners are the weekend's biggest winners, the Kansas City Chiefs. Because there's been a lot of talk, and unnecessarily so in my opinion, about them not being able to hold on to the crown in the AFC East. And um, I think it's just, it's just preposterous. AFC West. AFC? West. West. The, Ch- the, Kansas, the Chiefs in the East. The Chiefs are in the West. AFC West. What am I saying? What am I saying? The AFC West. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, my my apologies. Um, in the AFC West. Yeah. I I, I I was just saying. I think that's preposterous, and that they silence every critic on Sunday. Uh, the fact that they they turned the Arizona Cardinals into ninety nine cent green tea Arizona, just just flat <laughs> flat and flavorless. The the Cardinals defense just looked unable to cope with Patrick Mahomes. And, and a receiving code that's comparable to like the replacements. You ever seen that movie with 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 um, Keanu Reeves? That that that's what he has. The replacements. I said it before and I'll say it again. I still think the Chiefs are taking this division. All right, no problem. So of course, for those of you who are watching us live, you can interact with us in the chat. You can send us messages as soon as I see them. I will definitely get them up. So that, you know, we can have a conversation. AJ and I are going to talk. We can talk to you. You can talk to us. So that's one of the benefits of us doing this live. So on first down, my biggest winner. Now, I actually had two, but I am, you see the colors that I'm wearing. I am in, I am bedecked in, in gold tonight. And that was, that should be no secret then as to where I am going. And that is with my seats winning the Bayou Classic. So, <sighs> apologies to all other fan bases out there, but the best rivalry in the NFL is the Saints and the Falcons. Or, 
if my former head coach Sean Payton is to be believed, because he said this on the Fox broadcast on Sunday, that rivalry ended 14 years ago when he got hired. At this point, the Falcons hold a one-game advantage in the head-to-head, courtesy of that emotional win that the Saints took from them on Sunday afternoon. To recap, our offense looked awful. Absolutely awful for three quarters. We couldn't pass block. We couldn't run block. Up until the end of the third, our biggest offensive play was Taysom Hill taking the direct snap and running into the red zone. Our defense could not stop Cordell Patterson all day, snapping our 20-game streak of not along a 100-yard rusher. But then came the magical fourth quarter, where the Saints got a little tempo, the Falcons' D got a little tired, and Michael Thomas and Jimmy Smithson found a little rhythm and got really jiggy with it. The Saints scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, and the Falcons were reduced to a 60-plus yard field goal to win the game. That was blocked. This was another instant classic in the Deep South rivalry, and good on Dennis Allen for getting his first win against those hated Falcons. Oh, yeah, that felt so good. So, so good. I can imagine. Wish I could say I know what that feels like. <laughs> that segues perfectly, AJ. Into second down. The worst loss of the weekend. And I'm giving you the full screen. Go ahead, sir. It has to be the New England Patriots, Ken. It has to be. I can't look past my boys for this one. The reality, the reality is that even when we were a, a great franchise, we would still always lose in Miami, right? So losing is not the issue here primarily. It's the manner in which we lost, in which we lost on Sunday. It was just deplorable. Seven points? Seven points, as in like one touchdown from, a rushing touchdown from one of our wide receivers. That, 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 that's what we did. A side note, you see why no, I made the decision to stay away from, from every, every skill position that the parts have in, in fantasy? All right, stick a pin there. But <laughs> Ken, did you, actually, did you actually look through all stats in that game? The rushing was not impressive. The receiving wasn't impressive. Granted, I mean, Mac Jones completed 21 of 30 uh, attempts, but it was for like 213 yards, which is not great. It's not terrible. It's like solid, right? But the poor fella still ended up injured at the end of everything with a back injury. It's not good news for a quarterback. It never is. I, w- I won't even go much deeper into those depressing stats. But the fact is, in year two, in the first game of the season, the fact that we're already being shown up is... Oh, it's, it's just heartbreaking. Honestly, the only saving grace for the past this season is that the Jets are in our division. So we, we, by that by that metric alone, we probably won't be the worst team. Thank you, Jets. I can feel the pain in your words, sir. And <clears throat> if the Saints had lost that game to the Falcons, I probably would have been right there with you, because <laughs> yeah, the there's one if there's if if there is a game on the schedule that we must win every time it is to beat the Falcons. But anyway, uh-huh. <clears throat> I actually have two. I have two teams here for the biggest loser. 
And there are quite a few options, huh? There's got a lot of teams that could fall under this category of biggest loser, but firstly, this tag must be worn by the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals were a six and a half point favorite to beat Pittsburgh at home in the opening weekend, and they pooped the bed in spectacular fashion. There's a popular saying that if you win the turnover battle, you win the game, and the Bengals added another feather to that cap. In the first half, Joe Burrow had three interceptions and finished the game with four. Mitchell Trubisky didn't have a great game, but the Steelers' defense sure did, harassing Joe, forcing two, turn two fumbles that since he actually were able to recover. Cincinnati needed to win this game to stamp their authority in the division again after winning the division last season and sweeping these Steelers. Instead, they let Trubisky, who didn't have as good a game as Big Ben last year, and more on that to come, beat them, and now they're last in their division since everybody else won. But the one that, AJ, you're going to have to allow me a moment because this is about to get cathartic for me. Is these Denver Broncos. For all the optimism, after bringing in Wilson in the offseason, it took one night against the 12th man of Seattle to bring it all crashing down. The Broncos looked woefully unprepared for this game. And with limited reps given to their first teamers during the preseason, should we actually be surprised? A new coaching staff, a new quarterback, a new playbook, and obviously not enough time to get it all together. And that still doesn't excuse the horrific clock management on the last drive. The Broncos faced a fourth and five outside of Brandon McManus's field goal range. And rather than call a timeout to talk about it, and I don't know if you saw the clip because there is a clip on Twitter that was recorded from the alternate broadcast of the game last night with uh, Peyton and Eli. They had Terrell Owens on set with them at the time when they were watching the game. And Peyton was like, okay, so yeah, so we're going to call a timeout here and we're going to talk about this. And he's sitting down there for the entire time that they're not calling timeout and he's just tapping his hands together like time out call time out why aren't you calling time out and then they get to the line of scrimmage with about four seconds left on the clock and then they have to burn the time out anyway with 15 seconds left for McManus to come out and attempt a 64 yard field goal which to his credit it had the leg but it did not have the accuracy and it missed that is a dereliction of duty by this coaching staff and as Ryan Clark tweeted, I ain't paying $256 million to let my kicker kick a 64-yard field goal on 4th and 5. Denver seemed to be complacent going into the game because we all, and when I say we, I mean we media, all said that the Seahawks were going to stink. But like Gino said, we wrote them off, but they didn't write back. I don't, yeah, I, there's nothing more, I, there's a lot more I could, I could say about the, the Broncos, but, but we are a family show, okay, all right, so, 
now we are on to third down, AJ. And third down is the least impressive win. Who gets that gong from you this week? Well, that was a perfect segue for me because the least impressive win for me is the last victory of the week last night, Seattle. Uh, that win, the win was really great for them, uh, and and it should give them some hope in the dressing room. It, it, you know, it was it was magical stuff. But there is no way that Geno Smith is going to keep up with these kinds of performances for 17 games. And Drew Locke is no better. The Seahawks are still the worst team in the NFC West, and they're destined to be at the foot of that division come the end of the regular season. The win last night was more about Denver's ineptitude more than it was about them, Seattle, actually being able to, to maneuver and be a good team. Okay. So that is your least impressive win. My least impressive win, it goes right back to something that I talked about just not too long ago. And that is these Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, last week, I spoke about the lack of faith I had in the Pittsburgh wide receiving core. And then, after we talked about it on Tuesday, I went on a podcast, um, an England-based podcast, Monthly Talks NFL. Uh, on Monthly Talks NFL, there is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I had no idea he was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan until I got there. But when... Uh, I'm trying to remember the point that was brought up. And he was saying that he thought that the Steelers... Oh, right. The question was asked about the Steelers and their prospects for the season. And he thought that the Steelers would be a wildcard team. And I almost fell off my chair. Because I was like, they're going to be a what? I, I said that I believe that the Steelers are going to be very picking very high in the draft. I was unapologetic, and he almost fell out of his chair when I said that. We we had a very spirited discussion on that point. I said that I don't trust Trubisky. His point was that Trubisky is going to be better than Ben. But in this game, Trubisky was not better than Ben. Trubisky, who has a career 64% accuracy... Um, rating in this game he connected on 55% of his passes I don't know if you know AJ but you know you can actually you can find anything on the internet these days and I went and I looked I was because I was just curious to see what the um, the drops were looking like because they didn't make mention of the drops when he was talking about these these Steelers wide receivers last time there was only one pass that was considered to be catchable that was dropped by Deontay Johnson. Mm. Deontay Johnson was t targeted 12 times. He had seven receptions. He only dropped one, which means that four of them were, were just not catchable. I, I tried to pay attention to this game, but the Saints game was on at the same time, so I really didn't pay you know the closest attention. Now, along with the 55% accuracy, he only had 194 yards, which rounds out to be just about nine around nine yards per um, per reception. But these aren't the reasons why the Steelers should be worried going forward. Najee Harris, their Belko running back, was dinged up coming into the game. I had to leave early because of a foot injury. 
he's potentially going to play on Sunday, but the injury to TJ Watt is going to be a killer. I mentioned how well their defense played on Sunday. He is the reigning defensive player of the year, and if you take the defensive player of the year off of any team, then that team is going to have some trouble. He suffered a torn pectoral during the game, and the severity is unknown at this time. But what we do know for sure is that he will not play on Sunday. So before we move on, we have some comments in the chat. Um, we have Kirk and David chiming in. First off, Kirk is you know saying that you are dirty with your your snide comments <laughs> regarding the Jets. Yeah, everyone knows how I feel about the Jets. Everyone knows. <laughs> yep. And then we have David. David says that the Broncos absolutely had the worst week one, but I think you can make an argument for the Cowboys too. That's done in your parts of the world, dear uh, AJ. And Kirk um, said that his wife was a Cowboys fan, didn't watch the Cowboys game, and he's happy about this. Every season, Kirk is you know playing hide-and-seek with the Cowboys because whenever the Cowboys aren't doing well, well... Things don't go so well for him at home either. So, and then, of course, when they talked about um, Mitchell Trubisky, social distancing with the ball before social distancing became a thing. I took that from Kirk because that is his favorite thing to say <laughs> about one Mitchell Trubisky. All right, so we're caught up on the chat. AJ, we were at third down just now with the least impressive wins. So now we go fourth down. A moral victory. We know that moral victories do not exist in football, but sometimes things can make you feel a little bit good, even if things didn't go so good in the scoreline. So, who gets your moral victory for this week? Oh, the Chicago Bears, man. The Bears, Bears <laughs> don't. I'm, I'm happy for the boys. I am happy for them. Um, to start the season with a victory in front of their fans is a great morale booster. I'm in no way convinced, though, that this is a sign of things to come from the Bears. I think... They, they, things fell into their favor this week. There are a lot of factors that I, I don't want to because I don't care to discuss the Bears that much because I still expect them to be the worst team in their division at the end of the regular season. I think, again, this was more about the opponent's shortcomings and them still, the, their opponents, or opponent that is, having things to figure out as the season progresses. Okay. So for my moral victory, uh, here, let's peep at the chat. So, Omar Clark says his more victory is the Lions. But I know that we got a little bit more on the Lions in a little bit, so we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Now, my moral victory for this week was actually Carson Wentz and the Commanders. Everyone is still ragging on this team because of their horrible um, nickname choice, but the fact still remains that to start the season with a win, when nobody expects you to be good this season is a plus and i mean everyone has written off the commanders from the start of the season but carson wentz actually had a pretty good day he went for 313 yards four touchdowns and two interceptions i mean it's carson wentz so i guess we can expect the interceptions to come along sometime but the commanders are one and all they are better off than the Dallas Cowboys. So right now, they're not the worst team in their division, and their quarterback didn't stink. So, you know, I 
give them a round of applause. You can definitely feel good, Washington folks, about what your team has done this week. We'll see if they can keep it going because the NFC East, as we always say, is still the NFC East. So that was four down territory. We have completed the four downs, but now we're going to run one more play on that, and that is the biggest surprise. AJ, who is your biggest surprise this week? <laughs> All right, Omar, here it goes. It's the Detroit Lions. It is the Lions. And I'll tell you why. I was surprised that the Lions scored more points than three quarters of the league in week one. <laughs> the, Lions, the Detroit Lions put up 35 points in a loss. I mean, this, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. Last season, I mean, they started off the season with, with a, a hefty uh, um, total as well, right? But they actually scored more than 35 points only once last season in 2021, right? And this was in week 17 against the Packers who had already clinched the NFC. So I think it's a positive start with it for, for their offense at least because obviously the defense still gave up 38. So, you know, it's, it's checks and balance and all that. But, but it was a shockingly positive start for me. I did not expect them to score 35 points when the rest of the league, the majority of the league, could not put up that much themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I also have to give it to the Lions because the Lions, the Lions are the little engine that could. So far, they, they haven't actually gotten you know over the hill, but they're, they're getting there. They are a very game team, and they're a lot of fun to watch. I mean, imagine actually saying that about a Lions team that still is losing games, but... Gotta love them, man. Gotta a bunch love of them. lovable losers. It is true. And, you know, we have to always pay attention to the um, post-game comments that come up from Warren Dan Campbell. Those are always entertaining. Now, my biggest surprise of the week is also another loser. But this one is not one that... Um, we can feel so positive about these are those those Rams. First game of the season, opening night in your home stadium, and you get absolutely curb stomped by the Bills. You said this was billed as the Super Bowl champs versus the Super Bowl favorites, and holy smokes, if that is an accurate prediction. The Rams, well, the Buffalo Bills, look like if everything is going to have to run through them on the AFC, the Rams are in trouble. They, we even got Devin Singletary. There was a Devin Singletary sighting in this game. He had eight carries in the game. Josh Allen, he got picked off twice, but the fact still remains that when you look at the final score of that game, they got beat 31 to 10. It was not even close. And Sean McVay has a history of not playing his starters in preseason, and that worked against him. Omar agrees with me when he says that the Rams look unprepared. You, you don't give your guys any reps. Yes, we know that uh, Matthew Stafford is dealing with an elbow issue. But you don't give any of your starters any reps. Cam Akers, who's supposed to be your starting running back, all of a sudden he can only see the field for like five snaps, seven snaps, gets like one or two carries, much to the chagrin of all his fantasy owners, me included, zero points altogether. And then Allen Robinson, you can't really get him worked into the game. 
not at all. Cooper Cup has to do all of the heavy lifting, and even then, you still only manage to put up 10 points. The Rams, they're going to be easier games for them down the road because the Buffalo Bills are a very, very good team. They're very good on both offense and defense. But I was not I was not ready for the Rams to look this unprepared in this game this weekend. So that is the biggest surprise. So AJ, I know I mentioned earlier about these kickers, right? They call it they call it section stub toe. Because I'm if you ever I know you probably hit your foot on something at some point in time. And anytime you stub a toe, it usually it doesn't end well for you. So there's another article I found here on SB Nation where it says that the kickers had the worst of week one. And it says here the NFL season got into full swing on Sunday with almost every team putting on the pads kicking off the season. The kickers still seem to be in the off season, however. The Doinks were beautiful, loud, and plentiful. The Jaguars, Colts, Texans, Steelers, and Bengals each had a kicker miss a field goal in the early window. They probably missed my Saints because we missed one too. Now, as I said, not every kick every kicker doink or miss is made equal some are complete whiffs such as the coach rodrigo blankenship and his potential game winner in overtime AJ, that was a chip shot he should have made that one and he hooked it horribly wide the Bengals and the steelers both wanted to lose on sunday with both kickers missing potential game winners in overtime including the normally clutch evan mcpherson hooking a 29 yarder in overtime that had no chance. So we, you and I, we discussed this briefly on WhatsApp during the game. When I, mm-hmm. you said that McPherson could probably be finding himself, you know, in down at the employment center looking for some work. I said that McPherson, he has a little bit longer of a leash than most. I don't think this one kick for him is going to be what gets him cut. But mm-hmm. of course, right now, well. They're putting it more on the long snapper because it says Cincinnati actually does not have a long snapper. I guess the long snapper got hurt. So the execution was off, which made him kick the laces and then you know shank the kick as badly as he did. Um, David actually has helped us here. He said Blankenship is in the bread lane now. So one kicker got yeah. kicked to the curb. I saw that as well. I, I was going to mention that. I told you, these boys on a short leash. <laughs> yeah. And then Chris Boswell, when he hit the, the middle of the upright, that, that, the, the sound that that made was absolutely glorious. So the kickers, the, the kickers, they are in trouble. Um, they need to do better. This, I, there's nothing else that really can be said about this. Yeah, I, don't, and, I have nothing to add. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> David is adding though, not Tucker though. <laughs> and you know Tucker did get paid this offseason. Tucker Tucker is the highest paid kicker in the league. And there was an interview I saw during the pregame this weekend where they were talking to Harbaugh and they asked Harbaugh if he thought that, you know, Tucker might be worth a first round pick now with the, the level of clutchness that he's displayed for the Baltimore uh, franchise. And he actually said yes. I don't know which kicker ever in history would ever command a first round pick, but hey, if you have the goat, 
I guess those are the kind of things that you say on behalf of the goat, right? A coach saying what he's ex exactly um, supposed to be saying about his kicker. Of course. So AJ, so now we are going to debut a brand new feature in the show. This is your baby. We're calling it overreacting much. So of course, you know, there are lots of storylines that came out from week one. Over to you, sir. All right, so what we want go, going to do here is talk a little bit because whether it's us, media, or it's the fans or the players themselves, there are always some narratives that are popping up after every single week, right? So in this segment, overreacting much, I'm going to focus on some of the storylines that I've seen after week one, well, either that I've seen or I myself have concocted. So let's start <laughs> off. <laughs> so let's start off with the players. So the Niners lost in the opening week, and Trey Lance, he was far from convincing in his first career start, being outplayed by his opposite number, Justin Fields. So Ken, is it an overreaction to say that Trey Lance isn't ready to lead the 49ers team as is presently constructed? I would say yes. It is very difficult to make evaluations over what happened this weekend because this weekend itself had some severe extenuating circumstances. We had a monsoon. I describe it as a monsoon. It could be a hurricane. You could call it what you want, but it was a whole lot of rain that fell at Soldier Field on Sunday. And with that amount of rain, almost any quarterback is going to struggle. When you look at the field, the field, there was a lot of stagnant water on the ground so even for people who are running rushing the football it is going to be difficult to maintain your footing because you can't wear spikes long enough to keep yourself you know upright when you're running and slipping and sliding which is one of the things that the the winning bears did at the end of the game they went on a nice betty slide in the end zone i was a little concerned about that personally because i would not have been doing that to get a lot of water in my mouth personally but that was what they did so to to put a ball on it because of the weather and how bad the weather was in chicago it's a little difficult for me to to put too much on trey lance because he still did have some some relatively decent moments in the game i say that we still have to give him a chance all right so i'm going to say no i don't think it's an overreaction even with the weather as a factor right interesting honestly i i'm not going to act like i know much about trey but the thing is a lot of people don't know much about trey because we haven't seen him much <laughs> the guy hasn't even played much in college and i think that is a problem this is the niners team that has been to the nfc championship game twice in the last three years right the fact of the matter is they chose to keep Jimmy G as a backup. Even restructuring his contract, the fact is they kept him. You know what other teams do when they move on, when they think they've found their successor at quarterback, their new franchise? They get rid of the other guy. And they, they, they may bring in some sort of backup, but they usually get rid of the other guy, right, to, to make sure that the, the new quarterback knows that he has the full faith. They did not do that here. So to me... The fact that they didn't make that commitment to Trey and, and kept the safety net in Jimmy G, that's that's what I'm looking at, right? And, and, and after that week one performance, I, I think it is almost justifiable why they chose to keep him around. But the, the one thing that I'd push back on 
in in what you just said is that the Fortnite mm-hmm. didn't choose to keep Jimmy. They were forced to keep Jimmy because the price that they were asking for Jimmy, nobody was willing to pay. If they were coming with a realistic um, price for Jimmy Garoppolo, who, for on his own side of it, had the injury to his shoulder and had to get surgery, which means that he still couldn't throw a ball, nobody is going to want to take the risk and put out what they were asking for for Jimmy Garoppolo at that time. And and the way I see it too is that they tried to to price Jimmy out because part part of them wanted to keep him there. There's no way they could have expected to get back what they wanted for Jimmy G. It it seemed it seemed no it seemed I I I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Otherwise they could have even they could have they could have even cut him. But they didn't do that. No they were never gonna cut him. They were never gonna cut him. They were they feel, and they've been saying this all along, that when the injuries start to pile up, Jimmy is going to find a trade market, and that is why they kept him. There is no way that they were going to cut Jimmy. Jimmy was either going to be traded or he was going to stay. And Kirk said that, you know, his problem is that when the team moves all heaven to get a franchise player, yet still keeps PS Jimmy. And for you that know what um, PS means, you know, he's a, he's a, they're referring to being a star in a certain kind of movie. That is <laughs> that is tech. All right, but let, so let's move on from Jimmy now. In any case, mm-hmm. so the second player I want to talk about Saquon Barkley. So with Saquon not just being the best player in Tennessee on Sunday, but arguably the best player in opening weekend, is it an overreaction to say that Saquon is back? This is probably the most difficult one of the lot that you that you provided to me this week. Because we were hearing reports at the end of last season that Saquon was looking, he was starting to look like the old Saquon. Now, I don't know how much of it is Saquon absolutely, you know, returning to full fitness, full form, and dominating the opposition and how much it was that the opposite the opposition was you know complicit in their own demise but it's hard to say no that this is but i think it's probably a slight overreaction we need to give it some more time because one game you know they say one swallow doesn't make a summer one game doesn't convince me that saquon is back we need to see him dominate oppositions for a few more weeks and then once we we get accustomed to Saquon being Saquon, then yes, I would happily say that Saquon is back. <laughs> I'm going to go opposite you here again. I, I don't think this is an overreaction, such as I did with um, with Trey. I don't think this one is an overreaction, but obviously going in the opposite direction. Saquon has been telling us, the reporters have been telling us during the offseason that he was fit and he looked fully fit. And like, there's no talent about his question. There's no sorry, what. There's no question about his talent and skill set. I'm sorry, <laughs> when he is fit, right? We know that the guy's unstoppable. And starting off the season in this manner, I think to me, to me, proves that he is well and truly back. He was playing, not just, not just fit, but the the, the manner in which he was playing mentally, in terms of like the vision he was showing on the field. I I, I think Saquon is actually back. 
Okay, but I'm I'm just not convinced as yet, which is why he didn't take him in any fantasy, and then he absolutely went off yesterday on Sunday. So you yeah, know, kudos and, to him. And handed me my only loss of the weekend. Well, I, mind you, I did talk him up a little bit in fantasy. I did say if mm-hmm. you can, if he falls, you to go for him though. But anyway, so let me transition from that and let's talk about a couple teams from here, from each conference. And but I'll stay with that with the aforementioned game, right? So the Titans blew a 20 to nothing lead to end up losing 21 to 20 to the G-Men. Now, granted, Randy Bullock did miss a potential walk-off field goal, but overall, Tennessee shouldn't have even been in that position to begin with. Derrick Henry, and I mentioned this over the weekend, he had 21 carries for 82 yards, not a single target. Ryan Tannehill completed 60% of his throws, and the defense clearly got gassed in the second half and had no answer for the omnipresent Saquon Barkley. So, is it an overreaction at this stage of the season to suggest that the Titans are done as an AFC powerhouse? I think yes. At this point in time, that is still an overreaction because the Titans, they have had some inexplicable losses over these last few years. There are teams that they go up against that they have absolutely no right losing to, and then they find a way to lose the game. Now, the Titans, they have lost A.J. Brown on the from the wide receiver room. They brought in uh, Robert Woods, who was not a factor in this game. Then when you look at what Derrick Henry was able to, to produce, as you said, 21 carries, 82 yards, that's less than four yards a carry. So the offensive line clearly has not been able to create the holes that they need. And Derrick Henry, he's the kind of running back that usually starts the season very, very hot. So if he is not able to get the level of production that they're accustomed to in week one, then that does make you a little concerned. However, when you look at their look at their division, the AFC West, they're still in the division with Houston and Jacksonville. So right now, this weekend, everybody lost. Well, sorry. Three teams lost. Is it three teams? Two teams lost. And two kissed themselves, kissed each other on the cheek. So, no, it's still going to be a straight shot between them and Indy. Yes, better. Indy's going to be better. But the Titans still have an opportunity to come out of this division. So, no, I would not. I would say that this is still an overreaction. The opposite side. I, st- <laughs> I don't think that this is any kind of overreaction. And the reason being, I said a couple weeks ago that I believe the Titans have regressed. Last year, they traded away a former fifth, fifth overall pick in Corey Davis, right? After his best season. Then this year, traded away two, two, 2020 pro bowler, A.J. Brown, you just mentioned it, in this offseason. And they couldn't even get the best of Julio Jones when he was there. Who, after one game in Tampa Bay, looks like he's Atlanta Julio again. Derrick Henry has lost some of his impenetrable armor. We know that last season was the first time he missed so many games with that with that major injury that he had, right? Mm-hmm. Listen, Ken, you can't keep downgrading your offense and expecting a quarterback of Ryan Tannehill's caliber to be the answer. The defense is another topic. That's unjust. But <laughs> it wasn't even a shot. I'm just being serious. <laughs> uh, 
but but yeah, but I was saying the defense is another topic. But even 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 though they're going to get tired, uh, uh, um, uh, even they sorry would have to would be getting tired if they have to be on the field more than the offense because the offense can't keep up. So sure. I, I, that clearly is is what happened in this game on Sunday. And and if the offense can't get anything going down the stretch, you're going to see the, the defense to be um, being on that field for long stretches, and it is going to tire them out as the season goes on. I'll re- reiterate here again, I feel like this is the Coast Division, and I think the Tennessee Titans are not going to be in the playoffs. There are too many other good teams in other divisions, I believe, that that Tennessee this year is not going to be there. Well, if they don't win, I don't think two teams come out of the of the West, not the West, of the South, of the AFC this season. The, there's there's too much quality in the AFC West. The AFC North also, they look like if they may have at least two good teams. I mean, Cincinnati, you know, they, as I said, they pooped the bed this week, so they, they know how to come back and show us something else. I don't know what happens in this division because the Colts still couldn't find a way to beat Houston. But at the same time, Tennessee, they have a lot of figuring out to do, especially when you take into consideration that the their new supposed number one receiver had two catches in this game. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I'm, I'm done with Tennessee now. We'll get back to them at some point. But next, let's move over to the NFC. And the Packers were humbled by division rivals, the Vikings, in week one. With Aaron Rodgers' connection with his receivers about as strong as 90s dial-up internet with a landline ringing. (laughs) In the post-Devante Adams era, the Packers' reign of sovereignty in the NFC North seems to be officially over. Overreaction? This one, I I actually have to say no. This, This can't be an overreaction. Because I was watching that game. It was bad. It was really, really bad. The, the the one thing that the Packers were able to do during the Aaron Rodgers era is that they always had one wide receiver that they knew for sure they could count on. And then they just filled in the blanks with the rest. Before, it was Jordy Nelson. After Jordy Nelson, it was Devontae Adams. This season, who is it? No, to be fair... They were missing um, Bakhtiari. He was injured, so he was out. They were missing Lazard. He was also injured, so he was out. But when you take into consideration that Devontae Adams is gone, who, as I made mention of last week, I think it was, he had 100, I don't remember what the exact number is now, but he had like a almost like 140 receptions. Yeah, close to season. about 50, something. Oh, oh, I mean the last season, yeah. Last season. He had he yeah. had 140 yeah. plus. The next closest person had 40? 40 something? Less than 50. Marcel Valdez-Scantling, who was a decent receiver for them, but he wasn't getting the level of production that he was hoping for. He has now absconded and gone over to Kansas City. So two of Rogers's main targets, his absolute mainest, and then one that is knocking about there for maybe second best. Both of them are gone. The rookie would receiver first pass of the game, a wide open bomb 
that if he catches, he he tiptoes into the end zone, easily comfortable, nobody is going to stop him. He drops the pass. He doesn't take another he doesn't get another ball thrown his way until the third quarter. The other wide receiver, the other rookie, also drops a pass very, very early on in the game. And then he disappears out of the rotation too. So when they're there, then you're left with Randall Cobb, or should I say the shadow of Randall Cobb, because he's not he's not that guy anymore. And then you have ah, what's his name? I can see his face and I can't remember his name. The other receiver that Sammy Watkins. Sammy yeah, Watkins Sammy. is is the other receiver that they, they brought in. So the defense of the Packers is still pretty good, but their running game was not very good this weekend. Their passing game was completely disjointed. The Vikings look really good. And if nobody if if everybody forgets to, to cover Justin Jefferson like the Packers did, then the 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 Vikings are probably in a very, very strong position to win this division this year. All right. I'm I'm actually closer to agreeing with you here, but I'm going to go slightly off just a little bit. I think it's a slight overreaction. Mainly because like a Teleperry movie, we've seen this script before. Right? We've seen the storyline. Um, we remember very well what your Saints did to the pack last year in week one. And then fast forward to the end of the season where Green Bay finished atop the NFC and Aaron Rodgers was the MVP. So we know what he's capable of. And I'm labeling it as slight because I am second guessing what I initially thought about the Vikings. Kevin O'Connell actually seems to be a breath of fresh air for this franchise. Um, in 2021, the Vikings actually had a top five rusher, Dalvin Cook, and the number two receiver. Justin Jefferson was actually number two behind Cooper Cup in, in receiving yards, right? Mr. Greedy himself. And, and this was with uh, uh, the defensive-minded Mike Zimmer as head coach. The offense seemed to pick up exactly where it left off last season, and the defense looks legit again. And the Vikings, obviously, are the, the only team who could pose some sort of threat to the Packers in this division. Uh, but at the same time, I still have to see it. I have to see it to believe it when it comes to any other team in this division because Aaron Rodgers may very well figure something out with this young receiver corner. And, and you mentioned as well the fact that injuries did come into play here. Um, Bakhtiari is, was a huge loss. Uh, and also, I, I get the sneaky suspicion that Green, Bay, Green Bay's front office is going to try to do something sooner than later. Well, I mean, at this point in time, they really don't have a choice. So, as you you said, you know, we've seen this script before, but the biggest caveat, the biggest difference in this in this movie, compared to every other movie that we've seen these guys do, is that the their um, co-star, their second leading man, is not there. They don't have one. Green Bay is not a massive run the football team. And in this regard, Aaron Rodgers is just like Jose Mourinho. He don't trust youngsters. He don't like the kids. So he ain't going to be one to be out there so trying to bring these youngsters up. That's, this is not the environment for that. 
And he is not the quarterback for that. So they're going to have some problems. Now, Kirk, he's chiming in on this one. He says that he thinks that there's more to the Packers' demise or potential demise than just the quality of players. Remember, folks, this is me quoting someone. This is not Ken Griffith's thoughts. I believe, Kirk says, I believe that Rogers' off-field drama and perhaps the psychedelics is going to play a role. So, yeah, that is... That 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 is what he had to say about that too. I I am not yeah, going to talk. About, yeah, yeah right. I'm not going crow. to talk about psychedelics and all that kind of stuff. I'm just looking at um, Aaron Jose Mourinho Rogers at these young wide receivers. That is what fills my heart with no hope for them. Understood, but staying in the NFC because uh, I still don't think that in any case the Packers are going to win the NFC. But I know who I think can the Bucks. But let me start off this way. The Bucks offense looked rusty early on. Michael Parsons was getting the best of Tom Brady in the first half eventually. But but eventually, he, the GOAT, he, the GOAT, did manage to get the ball in the end zone. Uh, but even more importantly, the defense held the flailing Cowboys offense to a single field goal all game. The first time since 2001 that the boys failed to score a touchdown on opening night. For the final time today, Ken, is it an overreaction to say that the Bucks are headed back to the Super Bowl for what might actually be TB12's swan song? Absolutely. 100%. I love it. This is, this is the greatest overreaction of all overreactions. The Bucks are going to what Super Bowl? Let's talk about this after this game that comes up this weekend because they're going up against their regular season nemesis, and that is my Saints. When they go up against a team that has an offense that can put points on the board because the Cowboys couldn't do that, and I'm coming back to them in a second, but when they come up against a team that can put points on the board with a defense that can put pressure on them with rushing four because that is that has been the... That has been what has been working for the Saints whenever they play against the, the, the Buccaneers. They rush for, they play man on the outside because my Evans can't get Marshawn Lattimore beat. And then they let the Blitzers do what they have to do or they just play zone underneath. They keep the ball in front of them. The one thing that for this game, and this is probably, if I, I'll, I'll save that for later because we can talk about the games that we're watching this weekend shortly but the bucks went up against a dallas team that only had one notable player at wide receiver which is cd lamb who was taken out of the game most of the most of the way when they go up against a team that is able to attack them in multiple fronts then that's going to be different but the Cowboys came into the game with a banged up offensive line. So they weren't able to run the ball effectively. They couldn't build the play action off of that. And then CeeDee Lamb, again, was the only notable name in the wide receiving core. And then that got hurt coming on to the end of the game. But by that time, the game was a foregone conclusion because the Cowboys could not get anything going on offense. So it would be remiss of me to sit here and make it sound as if because that got hurt, they lost the game. No, they were already getting beat when that happened. But the bots have a, the bots have a tough road ahead of them. They got to play the Saints twice. 
And on top of playing the Saints twice, they won the division last year, so they're playing a first place first place team schedule for the for our division this season. So they're going to be playing against the first place teams in most of the divisions from last season. Now they this is definitely an overreaction after we won. Definitely. Well, I know that when you saw this topic, you knew for sure that that this is the one that we were going to be on opposite sides of. Because you know there's no way I'm saying that this is an overreaction. This is what I've been waiting on, right? Mm. Prior to the games, the, the start of, of, of the NFL season, I did say that I expect the Rams to head back to the Super Bowl if and only if Matt Stafford is healthy because of that elbow injury, right? I had concerns about the Bucks' offensive line, but I also did say I expected them to be a lot more buttoned up than the Cowboys. Let me remind you, I had the Bucks to win in Dallas, and you picked Dallas that night. Cool. They essentially were, all in all. The Bucks were more buttoned up. They were more ready to start the season than the Dallas Cowboys were. Michael Parsons is a, is a pro bowler, right? And, and to be honest, it was him mainly that, that was causing trouble, and he was the only person that sacked Tom that night. Other than that, the O-line pretty much held their own. And it's not like Dallas's defense is really bad. The Bucks' defense, however, was actually outstanding. They had four sacks, one pick. That could have actually been about three. And on the offensive side, Fournette was dominant. Julio Jones, as I mentioned earlier in the show, he looked like the man that, that became Atlanta's all-time leading receiver. Um, and even after Chris Godwin went down injured, it didn't seem to upset the flow of the offense. Like, every, everything was still flowing smooth. It was business as usual. Speaking of as usual, as per usual, I expect Tom Brady to continue to figure out the offense as the season progresses. And with Todd Bowles at the helm, the defense is going to be ready and they're going to be well prepared for the remainder of the season. And looking around at the state of the NFC, I still think that this conference is coming down to the Bucks and the Rams. I'm not even saying, I, I, you know, you, we did this two years ago. I don't care about the regular season game against the Saints. I know you have to this year. It's your division. I don't care about that. You know what I always say? They are going to beat you when they need to. Let me go back to my other point. The Bucks and the Rams both have things to figure out. And, and I, I have to mention the Rams because th that was my initial pick from the NFC. As of now, though, I have more faith in the Bucks to do so. And I think they are going to take the NFC in 2022. We've got a lot of time to get back to this, right? <laughs> All I know is that the, the one time that they beat me, Drew Brees had probably his worst game. No, not probably. That was his worst game of the season. And no, Drew, well, he's not even calling games anymore for NBC. So we'll see. We'll see. There's lots of time to come back to this. So now AJ. <laughs> as we as we as we bring this one home, which games are we watching this week? Looking ahead. What games are you checking out this weekend? Why didn't I already I had this here my phone just all right so week two obviously the Thursday night game um, the Chargers being in Kansas City, you know this is the division to watch right now. So I'm definitely looking out for that. 
I would love to say that I want to see my Patriots play, but I have no interest in seeing us lose to the Steelers. Um, <laughs> uh, other than that, I'm actually interested in seeing the Dolphins at the Ravens. Um, this could be a high-powered offense game, but at the same time, both defenses are, are actually really good. So, yeah, I, I'm interested in, in in those two. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the most obvious one for you, but these are the two I will mention off the bat. There, there are a lot more exciting games this weekend, though, to be very mm-hmm. honest. But, yeah, but I will – you know, I didn't even realize we had two on Monday night. All right. Yeah, we got two, more, two games on Monday. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll I'll leave it at these two for now and let you go ahead. Okay, so obviously, I am going to be following the Buccaneers and the Saints. The Saints are at home. This is our home opener, and we have the Buccaneers coming to town. As I was alluding to when I was making my um, statement against the um, the Buccaneers, I have a concern about the Saints' rush defense, especially when it comes against big, bruising running backs because Cordarell Patterson you know, took our lunch money this weekend. I know we have uh, Leonard Fournette coming into town, so that is going to be a little bit of a concern for us going into this game. But I have to trust that we are going to get something figured out for that. And then the other game, I mean, the, the Sunday night game... That is going to be interesting on its own just because of the history between the Bears and the Packers. And the Packers don't have any wide receivers. So we'll see what happens there. But the, the game that is really has my interest peak for that late um, window on Sunday is the Cardinals and the Raiders. Both teams just came off of a loss, especially when you look at the, the Cardinals. They got shellacked by the, the Chiefs. And the Raiders, well, they they just got beat by the Chargers. So it's going to be interesting to see how they put them together. And Omar Clark, he has definitely agreed with you, AJ, with the Dolphins and the Ravens. All right, so that brings us to... Oh, sorry. I was just going to add as well that I, as well, am interested in seeing that Cardinals Raiders. This is a huge game for week two because... Both of these teams are in a position where they can ill afford to go down 0 2. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, that is where we will land it for this week's episode of the Greenbridge Podcast. As always, the audio only podcast is going to be up very shortly after this is finished. So, for those of you who listen to us every week, thank you so much for being here with us. We are going to be back tomorrow with the Fantasy Spot at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. This is the Green Beige Podcast, your late night football fix. So as always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And we will see you next time.